and I'm glad you're here this morning. We've been doing a series on attitudes to master life. There's just a few things you have to know, no matter who you are, for life to go pretty well. And we talked at first in our series about commitment. You don't get far without a commitment. You, nobody gets married and said, I promise to be faithful to you pretty darn good chunk of the time. Now, no coach says, get out there, boys, and give me about 50%. Nobody. Only Christians do that. I'm waiting. Okay. No, commitment. Commitment to your dream, your vision, to, to your, your, your marriage, to your health, to your financial well-being, to your spiritual development. Commitment. Commitment. You know, a chicken lays an egg. That's participation. But the pig gives bacon. That's commitment. And then we talked about gratitude, the ability, the attitude of being thankful for life, for friends, for God's giving you the ability to taste. When you say to your arm, move, it moves. If you've never been paralyzed, you don't know what a gift it is. Just a gift of good health, the gift of good friends, the gift of a career, a brain to think, to make choices. And we teach our children, what do you say when somebody does something for you? Thank you. Thank you. And that is a Christian virtue, gratitude. You know, thank God you got a roof over your head. Maybe it's an old car, but it runs and it gets you to work. Be grateful. Be grateful. And then we're going to talk today about relationships. People help you or hurt you. People lift you or push you down. People can promote you and people can demote you. It is so important that we classify the people we're closest to. You are probably the sum total of the five closest people in your life. Don't we tell our children, where did you hear that? Where did you learn that? We know what bad companions do to all of us. I remember as a teenager getting in trouble a few times, well, a lot of times, because I was with the wrong group. And you can do that in church. If you want a great if you want a great life, it's not about being religious. It's about hanging out with some people going where you want to go. Smart people. He that walks with wise men shall be wise, Proverbs says. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. And we watch it all the time. And we say, that was dumb. Who, what was she thinking? What was he thinking? Happens all the time. So relationships are real important. Our God is a family man. He sets the solitary in family, Psalms 68. He says a, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Two are better than one. So the whole idea is God's not into aloneness. Uh, I know this is Texas, the lone star state, but that sucks. God does not endorse that. Good friends can open doors for you. And you're not self-made by any choice. You're the sum total of all the people who have touched your life, your culture, your race, your family relatives, school, teachers, and friends. So the English, the English writer, English uh, James Dunn, he said a long time ago, no man is an island to himself. We aren't made that way. See, human beings are not here on your own. You're here today because of a lot of different people who touched your life. Parents, neighbors, friends, teachers, a whole community of people have affected you, some for better, some for worse. But you didn't get here by yourself. And then there's a whole little world of people who are going to be touched by you. That's important. 
friends, co-workers, you know, and your life and your actions will touch all kinds of human beings. None of us got here on our own. God made us that way, and here's what he said. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, that kind of oppressing aloneness that kind of damages the human heart. Instead, you and I were made for relationships. You're made to know an intimate relationship, to serve people lavishly, to share the stuff you have, to build into the lives of people around you, to have people that you can share your heart with, praise, laugh, cry, other human beings. Did you know that a Harvard study of 268 graduates over 78 years found the biggest predictor of satisfaction in life was not money and not career, but strong relationships. Look, if you got great relationships, they'll pick you up when you're down. If you have a need, they'll somehow do their best to try to meet it. If you're hurting, they'll try to ease your sorrow and pain. Everybody needs that kind of a friend. And you won't have a whole auditorium full of them. You might have a few, but everybody needs them. They are priceless. Money can come and go. A job can come and go. Situations can come and go. Your health can come and go. I don't care if you eat barley green every morning and chew roots off a tree. I don't care. You can still come up with where'd that come from, right? But, but friends, they're there for life. And you only get a few like that. Thank God for them. I've had a few come in my life, and I am better because of it. I take good friendships over anything because they'll make sure life goes well for you. And yet, while we want relationships and community, sometimes we drive it away. You know, we hide from people, we hurt people, we judge people, we distance ourselves from people, we sit alone, and sometimes we envy people. So all of us have to decide whether you will live with an attitude that values relationships or your priority will be just look out for number one. <clears throat> Let me give you a picture of these two attitudes. There's a book called Exclusion and Embrace. And in it, the author says there are two ways you can do life. You can embrace people. You can do life with them. You can open your heart to them. He said that's God's heart. He wants to embrace people. By the way, a lot of people not like you. A lot of people not from your race, your neighborhood, your background, or your culture. There's a lot of people in this room different. God loves diversity, not division, but diversity. But denominations, political parties, and sometimes even race demand absolute cloneness. You've got to be just like me. You've got to act like me, vote like me, think like me, like the food I like, think like I think. Excuse me? What a boring world that would be. That's not the church. It's filled with all kinds of different cultures and diversities. Jesus didn't die for Republicans. He died for the whole world. He didn't die for one race. He died for all the races of this world. <laughs> you can see why they don't want me on a, uh, on a denominational show. I might tell the truth, and the truth can be real painful sometimes. So you can also exclude people. You know, you can get cold-hearted. You can shut people out of your life. They're not like me. And some years ago, a man named Jim Roberts was visiting the fourth grade class of his son, Daniel. And the teacher organized a game called Balloon Stomp. Every student had a balloon tied to their leg. And the object of the lesson was to stomp on everybody else's balloon while you protect your own. And the person left with the only unexploded balloon is declared the winner. 
It is a ruthless game, survival of the fittest. It is definitely not a community-building relational event. So the teacher blows the whistle and the game starts. Dog eat dog. Kids are stomping everything they can get their foot on. Some kids focus on survival, so they retreat to the edge of the room to protect their own balloon. You know, one kid was tired of balloon stomping, so he traded his balloon for a, a, a milk carton for his lunch with some other kid. Eventually, one kid is left with an unexploded balloon, and he's the winner. Now, the rules are clear. If you win, I lose. And every time anybody gets a balloon popped, I'm a little closer to the top. Every person for himself. That's the way the game works. That's the way the world works. And then another class comes in. They're prepped to play the same game, only this time they're children who are mentally handicapped. And they went around the room and helped each other get their own balloons stomped on until every balloon was popped. And then they all applauded together. They got the job done. Nobody was left out. Nobody lost. Everybody won. So the question is, who got the game right and who got the game wrong? And which game are you going to play? Because you can go through life one of two ways. You can choose to embrace people, all kinds of people, and live in community with them with an open heart. Or you can go through life on your own, excluding people, and climb however high you want, acquire whatever you want. You can be an island, but what will you have when you get to the end of your life? So let me give you four choice points in deciding whether you'll open yourself up to embrace or you'll exclude people and make life just about you. The first one is, I have to choose to be willing to accept people as flawed human beings, just like I'm flawed. I know that's hard to believe, but I am flawed. Ask my wife. No, and I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't. Or will I pronounce judgment on them? So will I accept or judge people? Second choice point. Will I enter into competition with people? Will I view life as a competitive battle and the object is to beat other people, compare myself to them? Or will I choose to build people up, not compare? Third choice point. What will I do with my stuff, my time, my resources, my talent? Will I share what I have? Will I be like a person of a generous heart, or will I try to withhold myself? Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can, poison the rest. Yeah. And then number four, as people come into my life, will I look, listen, pay attention to people? Will I invite them into my life and heart when I'm with them, or will I just look the other way? Will I attend or ignore people? Okay, so let's spend the rest of this time we have and look at all four of those points. Just elaborate just a few minutes. Number one, when I exclude you, when I stand in judgment over you, I exclude you from my life. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Paul says in Romans 14, stop judging one another. And later he says, welcome or accept one another just like Jesus accepted you. Now, when Jesus tells me not to judge people, he does not mean applaud everything people do, because obviously people do bad things. The kind of judgment he's talking about is when people close their hearts off to other people and reduce them to a label. Oh, you're not of my race or my background or my culture. You're not healthy. You're not normal. You're weird. You're not spiritual. And the implication of that judgment is, but I am. Really? Really? 
A judgmental spirit forgets he is also a fallen creature. Don't do that. A judgmental spirit always has a pose of superiority better than you. Don Shula, who was coach of the Miami Dolphins in their heyday in the NFL football, tells the story of going on vacation with his wife, and he went to a small town in Maine because he didn't want to be recognized. It was a rainy night. They went to a movie theater, and there's just a couple of people in there. And as Shula and his wife walked in, the few people inside started applauding. Shula kind of puffed himself up and said to his wife, well, I guess there's just nowhere we can go. People don't recognize me. Then he sat down and shook hands with the guy next to him and said, I'm surprised you knew who I was. And the guy said, am I supposed to know who you are? We were just glad you showed up because the manager said he wasn't going to start the movie unless there were 10 people here. <laughs> that ought to happen to every one of us at least once a day. The church has a saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. But when you get away from the cross, from what God has done in Jesus to forgive all of us and to embrace us all, then you get away from that level ground and you go into the world. And the ground is not level in the world. In the world, there's racism, discrimination, and bigotry. People fight with each other. People pronounce judgment on each other, and they exclude people. Let me just say this. This is not a church of exclusion. I am not building a church on a political party. I'm not building a church on one issue. Issues divide. Purpose unites people, and there's plenty to unite us. I don't need to dwell with what you like or don't like or what you're against or what you're against. I want people to know what I'm for. Jesus is for people. And we're going to build it on him, not us. Jesus said, let this mind be in you. This attitude that means the way of thinking that was in Christ. Now, I came out of a deep southern family and culture who had a way of thinking. Some of you came from other cultures nationalities that had a way of thinking. And God says, now when you become a follower of Jesus, let my word renew your mind. I want you to start thinking like me. How would Jesus do this? Not how would a Caucasian do it? How would an African-American do it? Or how would somebody from Asia do it? And if we all did what he did, at least we had the right attitude he did, we'd have unity. We wouldn't have discrimination. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have racism. We wouldn't have bigotry. But we don't do what he said. We think like the crowd we run with. I want to think smarter than that. Most of the people I was raised with were broke. I don't want to think like them. Are you, you know, your hairdresser? <laughs> I know we have probably some ladies that do hair in here. I'm not picking on you particularly, but in general. There are some messed up people who do your hair, and you, don't, you might not want to get the best advice from messed up people. You know, find, this is getting worse, isn't it? Find people going where you want to go with proven success, and then find out how they approach life or marriage or, or kids or anything. So it's just really important. But when you come to the cross, you come to the place the fallenness of humanity finds its ultimate expression. And you realize the truth about all of us. We were made in the image of God, every one of us. So we ought to look at each other with some sense of wonder. But when that gets killed, it's because of a judgmental spirit. When you judge somebody, you don't think that's somebody made in the image of God. 
But when you stand at the foot of the cross, you remember, I too am a fallen person. And superiority, pride, judgmentalism has no place here. You know, Jesus liked everybody. Do you know the worst criticism the religious state church could give him? He's a friend of sinners. That doesn't, that to me is not part, doesn't really, people outside the church don't think that about the church. They hate me. They hate my kind or whatever. I don't hate anybody. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to take a big step and I hope I don't get into poo here. But a very famous pastor from Houston called me a couple of years ago and says, Rick, what do you do with gay people? I said to him without blinking an eye, I'll let them sit with all the fornicating singles. (laughs) Are you kidding me? What the flip? Like there's a difference? Well, my sin's more normal than yours. Are you kidding me? And then we got the adulterers. You see, church is a place for sinful people so we can experience transformation, so we can be changed. And I want you here. You can be my friend. I don't condone what you do, but you can be my friend. The only chance I have to have impact in your life or you in mine is a friendship. So Jesus was a friend of sinful people. Yeah, and he liked to go to restaurants and eat. He'd probably go to Aldino's, Farrah, because he, he says he's a, he, they called him a wine bibber and a glutton. Now, for those of you who don't drink wine, I thought, well, why would I be attacked as a wine bibber if I drank grape juice? That's about the dumbest non-thinking strategy I ever heard from a pulpit. They can't. See, the Lord's speaking to me, and she's in her dress over here. Some of that stuff just makes me mad. Makes me mad because, you know, a fourth grader could look up in a Greek dictionary and and see what that word means, grape juice. Now, somebody that has alcoholism, for you, abstinence. You're going to be innocent once and stay that way. But don't put everybody else in the same category when it isn't biblical. That's all I'm trying to say. An attitude of community welcomes people, embraces people, accepts people. I don't condone what they do that's wrong, but I love them just like my children. We say, hey, that was a wrong action, but I love you, and I have higher expectations for your life. I wrote recently to a friend living in another state in a major family crisis. I said, I believe in you. I love you. Keep pushing. Call me if I can help. In Jesus' day, it it was the religious leaders who had the most judgmental spirits. The people who should have had the heart of God were the furthest from God. They excluded everybody not like them. They watched Jesus embrace all kinds of people, nasty people they wouldn't embrace, corrupt tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, and the religious people became vicious that Jesus would do that. And sadly, so do a lot of Christians. They look at somebody over there in a sundress in the summertime with a tattoo of a dragon serpent across the back and say, ooh, that might be the most compassionate person that you'd ever have in your life if you got to know who they were. See, we judge people. We don't even know them. We just, know, well, they probably, they come from here. They're probably in the, you don't know a thing about people. People like, I'm up here in, I'm up here in the public view. I'm a target. People make judgments. He must be mean. He must be, I'm the sweetest teddy bear you ever met. 
I am absolutely compassionate. Now, my wife says Rick might not be right, but he's never in doubt. So, I, you know, we are. If you, if, you, if you look at my background, a military family, a parents who were divorced five times, given to, raised by different relatives, I'm a survivor. All right? So, it formulates, and I'm military. So, there is a, I'm, 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 if you're in a fight, I'm, I'm with you especially religious people. You get in a, a spiritual warfare, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not afraid of a battle. I'm not afraid to die. You know, the enemy says, I'll kill you. My weapon is, I'm not afraid to die. Make my day. Now, what are you going to do with somebody like that? That average Christian is, oh, I don't want somebody to say something bad about me. Well, for God's sake, stay home. Don't do anything. <laughs> don't try anything. <laughs> I, I mean, it, but see, you make judgments well, I heard Susie say he's, I heard so-and-so say he, have you met him? No. I've never met Mr. Obama. I've never met Mr. Clinton. I've never met Mr. Trump. I've never met uh, any of the former presidents. And I've never met a lot of movie stars. I've met a few. But I never, there's a whole lot of them I know, but I never met them. And I don't know anything about them. I met Pamela Anderson front, preaching in Malibu. Several of the movie stars that were there. Tom Hanks, others. And I'll tell you something, early in the morning in Malibu over coffee, they don't look pretty. <laughs> when I was with Pam Lance, I told my wife, don't worry about lust, honey, it didn't happen. I, it didn't happen. I said, they don't put on makeup, they don't put on clothes, nothing. <laughs> and I loved it, by the way. I loved it. It's just, just funny. Okay. So... Jesus had some pretty harsh words for these Pharisees. He says, how dare you write people off when God hadn't written you off? How dare you, with a cold sense of superiority, pronounce judgment on people? Why, you're further away from God than the people you excluded. Now, remember, you can confront people without excluding them. So ask yourself, am I living with a judgmental spirit? Do I find myself condemning others with a self-righteous spirit? Do you enjoy passing judgment on other people? Second choice point, I exclude you when I view life as competition and you as the opposition. I measure who I am by comparing myself to you. I embrace you when I try to build you up. I want better things for you. People whose lives are dedicated to comparing and competing are really hard to be around. You know, it's difficult to resolve a conflict with a competitive person because conflict to them isn't about resolution. It's about winning. It's combat. If I view life as competition, then I stand and start comparing myself to you. And I have to show I'm smarter, I'm stronger, I'm better, I'm prettier, I'm more important, I'm more successful than you. And by the way, that goes on in church ministry all across this nation. Well, how many satellites do you have? How many TV stations are you on? How big is your church? It never stops. You can't get your identity that way. You can lose your health. Gravity will cause you to lose that hot body in time. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you could lose your health and still be a healthy person and lose it through no fault of your own. There are just a lot of things. The economy can collapse. You could lose that job as a CEO or a CFO. That business can go under. It could happen. You can't put your identity in that stuff. You, don't, you just become the best you you can. 
do the best you can. I wish I would have T.D. Jakes' gift or some of these other people. They're incredible. But I took my one little gift from a little rented room in a hotel to where we are today. So, you know, not the best, the fastest, the biggest, the greatest, but it's a whole lot better than what we started. One of the guys we started with came to visit Cindy and I after 20 years and walked through, and I said, it ain't bad from where we started in a rented hotel room with about 100 people. So God's done something. What have you got? What are you sitting on that could be useful to God? You know, what are you holding back? So God says, I don't want to be miserable in a competitive lifestyle. It's a setup for misery. And that's the way the game goes in the world. Just pushing and shoving. Who's going to win? Who's going to be number one? Who's the most successful? But the way of embracing says, I will refuse to try to look bigger by making you look smaller. I don't want to find, well, she's been married four times. What are you just trying to do? Lower her? Lower her already. Maybe she's got a, a good life. Maybe she's active in the business or the church or somewhere. And all you can think of, well, she's had four marriages. What you just did, you slob, is to try to cut her down to make, her, make yourself look more important or to make her look less important than you. Everybody in this room's got a past. <laughs> Thank God he did. You know, we got big screens. Wouldn't it be something if we sat here and the Lord says, let's do a review this morning. Whoa. Whoa. See, I don't want to find my identity by comparing myself to anybody else. I'm going to try to build people up. If two of us are identical, one of us isn't necessary. You're, the, you're unique. Your DNA is unique. The Bible says that an authentic community is not competition and exclusion. You know, some people walk through life measuring who they are by comparing themselves to somebody else. If somebody else succeeds, then that pain kind of eats at them, and you can do life that way. Or as best you can, and it takes a lot of work, I'm going to try to build into other people and celebrate it when they do well. Don't gripe or complain or say, well, I was here first, or, well, I can't believe because of this or that they got promoted above me. Well, you won't get promoted very far. The Bible says rejoice with them who rejoice. When somebody wins, we all win. I want all of you to win. I want all of you to do well, right? So which way are you going to do life? Third choice point. I embrace you and embrace community when I share what I have, my resources, my time, my talent, my stuff. And I close myself off when I try to withdraw. In a balloon-stomping world, we're taught to be real protective of our stuff. And we learn that real early. I got to protect my stuff. Got to guard my stuff. In the book of Acts, it says this. They had everything in common. No selfishness. In fact, they did not think of their possessions as their own. They had discovered something far better than a life of constantly acquiring and hoarding. So ask yourself, how can I use myself to delight God and do life in community? See, use your stuff to build community, to meet needs, to help the unfortunate. I have a real wealthy friend. He must have $12 million sports cars and had to rent a hangar at the airport to put all them cars in. And I said, you can only put your rear end in one car at a time. How much is enough? Do you know how many people we could feed with just one of those cars? Do you know how much we could do for social work and people uh, underprivileged with that? What we could do in the church and in the kingdom with just one flipping car? 
and you got to build a garage for more. Kind of like the Bible story of a guy, the rich guy who built barns and then built bigger barns. And then God said to him, you fool, tonight you're going to die. And there ain't no U-Haul behind the hearse. You can't take it with you. That's a fact, isn't it? And so learn, learn that attitude of Jesus to embrace others means to be generous with others. It's been quite a while maybe since some of you made a sacrifice. Maybe God kind of tugs at your heart to trust him with some sacrificial act of generosity. It could be with your time. Maybe it's your home for a small group to host it. Or maybe teaching one. Maybe it's service. Maybe it's financial. Are you going to share what you've got? Are you just going to make it about acquisition? Because in our culture, people who are counted as successful are people who get real good at acquiring stuff and hanging on to stuff. When people pass away, somebody will always ask, what was he worth? You could leave a lot of money and be worth little. And you could have little money and be irreplaceable in value. Wow. The Bible declares that what is of enormous worth are human beings that use their stuff to build community, to feed the hungry, to build the church, to declare God's love for all of mankind. So kind of where's your thinking on that one. See, God can get it to you if he can get it through you. Some of you are like a clogged artery. You know, you need to put a splint in that thing or a stent, whatever they call it, to let let the flow come through. That's important. Here's our last one, last choice point. I exclude you when I ignore you. I embrace you when I pay attention to you. You know, when I walk in here, I'm always looking around for lonely people, people that are alone. And I don't know, maybe they don't even want me to come by, but I'll walk through these chairs and go over and interrupt them to say, man, I'm glad you're here today. You're looking good. Welcome. I'm so glad you came today. By the way, I am glad you came today. I really am glad. It ain't no fun speaking to an empty building. I'm glad you got up, fought the terrible traffic, and came. When people go for counseling, the thing they look for the most is not just wisdom or guidance and counsel. It's to be in the presence of a human being who will actually look them in the eye, listen to them, and pay attention. You know, like they mattered. James says, be quick to listen. Paying attention to people is how they know they matter. It lets them know you're embraced, you're accepted. Hey, dads, when you're watching the golf tournament today or you're watching football or you're watching some activity and you get interrupted by your wife or one of your child, pay attention. They want your attention that moment, and it says to them, you matter. And my wife will never do that unless I am watching something (laughs) that I want to finish. It'll be at a crisis moment. It's a 40-foot putt to win the game. Or we're on the two-yard line. Two seconds to go. Honey... Oh, Jesus, help me. (laughs) And with great tears, I turn. Yes, sweetheart? Everybody in here has felt that. You're no different. I'm no different. Hey, I want people to feel that way when they visit Summit. Hey, you matter to God, and you matter to us. Amen. Jesus' willingness to die on the cross for the sinful man was a declaration to all of mankind. You matter to me. God longs to embrace the human race. He staked his life on it. So, are you going to exclude people? Shut them out? Are you going to choose to embrace people 
and go through life with an open heart. I hope you will embrace and choose community. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.